All right, well, thanks again for being with us today. Uh, and this is a great time for us to celebrate, a great day to celebrate. It was great to wake up this morning and see the sun shining. It's always, like, if it's cloudy on, on uh, sorry, Christmas, Easter morning, it just doesn't feel right, right? And I think the, there was a couple times I went to sunrise services, and it was cloudy, and you couldn't even see the sun. I'm like, well, that defeats the purpose, doesn't it? So when you wake up on Easter morning, and it's beautiful outside, that is great. I actually want to take, before we dive in today, I want to take... 30 seconds and talk to you about next week, okay? So next week, we're starting a new series called Faith Over Fear. And so we're continuing to travel through the book of Luke. We've been doing that through the course of the year, but when we get to the next section of chapter 5, there are four interactions that people have with Jesus, and there's some inter- those interactions have some fear involved. Like sometimes when we come to Jesus or when we decide to follow Jesus, I think one of the number one reasons we don't follow Jesus is because of fear. And so these four people in these instances have to overcome some fear in order to say, I'm actually going to come to Jesus. And we can learn a lot of things about what they overcome and why they overcame it and why it was worth it. So we would invite you back. We're going to start that. We'll do that for a few weeks, and then we'll jump into our summer series, which I'm really excited about. But I'm not going to tell you about that today because you've got to come back for a few weeks, okay? And then you'll find out what that is, all right? So here's my question to start this morning. How do you celebrate Easter? I'm sure that there are multiple things. If we just went around the room, there's different things that you do, uh, things that you plan to do today that are just a part of your normal Easter celebration. Maybe there's a meal coming, and there is a certain thing that you're, you're really excited about having. You have an Easter meal every year, and it's great, and so you look forward to having that. Maybe you did an Easter egg hunt with your kids or with your grandkids or something like that, and you put out the, the eggs, and they went and found them, or maybe that's coming this afternoon or something like that. There's all different ways that we can celebrate Easter. And we do this all, all through the year with different dates. We celebrate different holidays. We celebrate different other days. And there's really three ways you can kind of celebrate major days. And, and we can think about this as far as Easter. The first thing is you can ignore it. Some people wish they could just ignore Easter, probably, right? It'd be a little bit cheaper. Don't have to buy a bunch of candy or put out a bunch of eggs late at night, okay? So you don't have to worry about that. Or <clears throat> you just don't have to worry about going to church or something like that. Maybe you felt like you had to come to church today because it's Easter. Maybe you just would rather ignore it. And on a day like this, maybe you'd rather just go play golf, right? Everybody's out. Like, let's just go do that instead. So you can ignore it. You can ignore big days. You can ignore Easter. The second thing is you can just treat it like a holiday. And say, okay, we're going to celebrate it. We're going to do some things. We'll get some time off of work. So we'll plan some different things with the kids, and we'll hang out and do different stuff. And so you treat it just like any other holiday. Or you can do this, and I think this is what we should do today. You can celebrate an anniversary. Anniversaries have a little bit more of a personal feel, right? You think about it, a birthday is an anniversary. You celebrate the anniversary of your birth or someone that you love. You celebrate the fact that they we're born. You do the same thing if, if you're married or even when you, you were dating. Like when Beck and I were dating, we were dating for a year. I think we did something. I don't remember what we did, but we celebrated it. So we celebrate these things like anniversaries. You could even celebrate your sobriety. So you make a good decision to move away from something that was bad for you. And so you look back and you count the days, you count the years and say, I'm going to celebrate that good decision I made. And so what we're doing today is we're celebrating an anniversary. We're celebrating the day that Jesus rose from the dead. No, that wasn't April 9th, to, you know, what would it be, 37 AD, right? That we don't know the exact date. But we celebrate more so today than any other Sunday as we celebrate the anniversary of Jesus walking out of that tomb. And so that's what we would like to do today. And I hope you'll join me 
as we do that. So where we're going to start our conversation today is Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We're going to start there. And if you have not been with us, we have something specific we like to tell you about. It's called our follow-along page. And the way that you get there is you just take this little next steps card that's in front of you. There's a QR code on the back. And if you scan that, that's going to take you, or yeah, if you do do that, you can take that and it'll take you to our follow-along page, which is where you can get all the verses, all the notes. You can email the notes to yourself. You can send yourself, uh, you can send them to yourself. Like I said, you can send in a prayer request or ask a question. So we would love for you to use the follow-along if you would like. Or if you've got an old-fashioned Bible, you can read that, or you can have it right up here on the screen. So Romans 3, starting in verse 21, says this, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Now let's pause for a minute. I want to give us a little bit of background. The guy that's talking, his name is Paul. Okay, his name used to be Saul. Could get really confusing. Okay, so his his name is Paul. He's writing to the church in Rome, and it's very important to see what he says. He says, "But now God has shown me shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law." This was a big deal for a guy like Paul, because when his name was Saul, he was all about keeping the rules. In fact, we know he was a Pharisee, which means he was a Jew who was really good at keeping all the rules, okay? He was the kind of person you would hire to be an umpire, all right? He kept all the rules, he knew all the rules, and he wanted everybody else to keep all the rules, okay? So that's what he did. So now he's turning around and he's saying, listen, even though this is the life I used to live, now I understand that God's given us a way to get to him that doesn't mean that we have to keep all of the rules. Some of us like to be the one who keeps all the rules. Some of us feel better about ourselves when we keep all the rules, right? We can mark that down and make sure we did this right, we did that right, we made sure this was all in one place. Some of us are more the type of people that like to break the rules, right? We know what it is, so then we try and figure out how to get around it. Paul was the kind of guy that liked to keep all the rules. But then he realized, after he came to know Jesus, after he would actually go and kill Christians, and, and Jesus shows up and changes his life, he says, that's not the way to get to God. He says, and this was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets. He said, he knew all those scriptures, and now he sees that it's true. He goes on in verse 22 and says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. This is great. I always pause in our church, and I say, that whenever we see a verse like this, we say, this is an all play. Everybody's included in this. So no matter where you were born, Because originally, when he was Saul, he would have thought that Jews were the only ones who really had access to God. He goes, nope, that's not true. So no matter where you're born, no matter your lineage, no matter how much money you make, no matter what you've done, no matter, it doesn't matter. Everybody's included in this. And so we read this as he wrote it to the Romans, and it's true for us too. In verses 23 and 24, it says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through, Jesus, through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. He says everybody, he, he gave us the all play, right? He gave us the all play and said, this is for everyone. But then he also gives us the all play of, but we're all sinners. None of us are all right. We've all fallen short of the standard. You know, people don't like it when we start to have conversations sometimes about what the ramifications are for our actions. No one likes to talk about punishment. 
No one likes to say, hey, we believe that there's a punishment for sin, and that sin is separation from God. That's not a fun conversation to have, and no one likes having that conversation. However, I know that if we just went to the masses and said, are there anybody who's absolutely perfect, never made a mistake? No one would raise their hand. And if somebody did, you knew that person's probably the one we don't want to go near, right? That person's got something a little bit wrong, right? They're not realizing that they're human. So we all would say, yes, we've fallen short of a standard, we're not perfect. But what Paul is saying and what Scripture tells us is there was a result for that. And I want us to recognize a few things about, about Jesus today. And the first thing I want us to know is that Jesus loved you and me enough to give you a second chance. I, I've talked about this, I think, in the past. But I remember vividly when I was 16, I was a sophomore in high school. The big thing that everybody was worried about is who was going to get their license, Right? You're at that age, you want freedom, you want to be able to say, I can get in the car and drive somewhere. And this became a social construct because everybody knew kind of like we would figure out people's birthdays and you had to figure out like, have you gotten your permit yet? And when are you going to go for your license? And there was a little bit of drama around, am I going to tell my friends when I'm going to get my license or not? Because you didn't want to be the kid who came back to school and you went over the weekend or you went one morning if, the, you know, if your parents took you on a weekday that you got to miss school and then you come back to school. You did not want to be the kid who everyone turns to and says, did you get it? And you go, no. So we would play this game. Like we would be, I know kids that like said they were going to like a doctor's appointment. And instead we're like, oh, doctor's appointment, good. They're like, actually, just kidding. I went and got my license and I got it, right? They didn't want to be the kid that there was no, the expectations were there. So it was, it was a lot of pressure at the time, like figuring this out, making sure you got it, whatever. And I remember going for my license test. There was one thing I practiced more than anything, parallel parking. I have spent negative 15% of my driving career parallel parking, and yet I spent the most time on the driver's test doing that because it was the very first thing they made you do. And if you, if you failed that, you didn't even get to do the rest. Like, forget actually driving the vehicle. If you couldn't park between two orange barrels, you're out, right? You can't do it anymore. So we get to that point. I had talked to my friends, and I said, okay, what's this like? How's this work? They say, you know, you drive up the certain DMV I was going to. Um, it's in, uh, where was it? It's down the main line. Don't ever go there. It was terrible. So we went there, talked to them. How do we get there? What do we do? Okay. So we go up and, and they said, you go up the hill and you park in the barrels. And if everything goes well, they'll tell you to go out and stay right. If you do it wrong, they're going to tell you to go out and keep left and just go back and park in front of the DMV because you're done. So I'm like, okay. So I go into this day and I drive over there and I get it. And I, and I, I, from everything I understood, I nailed it. Okay, I felt good, pulling in the spot, parking fine. And there's that little pause. Like, he's like writing notes, like taking, I'm like, just tell me where to go so I know what's happening. So finally he goes out, he goes out and go right and follow the rest of the test. I'm like, nailed it, good. Okay, now I can actually drive the vehicle. I know how to do that. So I drive out, all's good, got my license first try. There we go. So all good, go back to school, everything's good. But here's what I didn't know. When we got done the test, we come back, we park, and he says, you did a good job. He says, you did not signal in and out of your parallel parking. I don't think I literally ever did that while practicing. Like, it just never, it never crossed my mind that I would do that. Now it does, because this guy told me all these years ago, right? But now, I, I just never thought about it. He goes, but, he says, you did a good job on the rest of it, so I'm going to pass you. And without me even knowing, I got a second chance. 
I had no idea. And I definitely had friends who did not signal in and out, and they failed. Okay, so I was like, I just kept my mouth shut on that one and didn't say anything. But here's what I didn't, I, I didn't even know that I got a second chance. Now, that DMV person was very nice, far from Jesus. But here's what Jesus did. He gave us a second chance before we even knew it. And while we were still sinners, we've read that verse from Romans 2, he died for us. And so Jesus loved us enough to say, you fall short of this, I love the way he says it in this verse, this glorious standard that none of us can live up to. We've all fallen short of that, and yet Jesus loved you and me enough to give us a second chance. Going on in Romans 3, verse 25, it says, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in in times past. Verse 26, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight, when they believe in Jesus. Here's the second thing I want us to know about Jesus. Jesus loved you and me enough to carry all of our shame. Here's what I mean by that. Because I think sometimes when we think about this trade that Jesus made for us, we don't, we don't fully get it. And here's how I understood it growing up is, was this. It was kind of like, okay, I was in front of a moving bus and Jesus came along and like shoved me out of the way and the bus hit him. Or someone had a gun pointed at me, and he jumped in front of me and took the bullet. Like, he, he sacrificed himself for me. And that's not wrong, but here's where this kind of falls short. Anyone would do that for someone they love. In fact, if my house was on fire and my kid or my wife was still inside, I'm going back in. Like, the flames play no, they don't matter to me in just making that decision. I'm going back into the building. And any loving father or husband would do the same thing. We would put ourselves in danger to save the people that we love. Jesus did that, yes, but it was even deeper than that. Here's, here's the other thing that's true. We think about it this way, maybe, that we were the ones on trial, and Jesus shows up as the righteous person and says, I'll take the punishment. Again, this is true, but it doesn't actually extend to the amount that we understand this case. Here's what Jesus actually did. He took our sin, and he looked like the person who did it. The equation changes when we would say, or we would think about the idea of giving our life for somebody and being recognized as the one who did something wrong. And that person gets to go off basically scot-free. Why do we know this is true? Because when we think about the way Jesus died, on a cross, next to criminals. And scripture tells us that when he was hanging there on the cross, God actually had to look away from him because of how great that sin and shame was. See, Jesus at that moment looked like all of our sin and shame. It wasn't just that he was the person who came in and took over for us. It was that he took it all on him and said, I'll carry it, I'll bear it, and I'll die for it so that we don't need to bear it anymore. And so he loves us enough to give us a second chance. He loves us enough to carry all of our shame. And going on in Luke 9, this is, this is Jesus talking about the crucifixion that's coming. So he's foretelling what will, go, what will be going on. Luke 9, starting in verse 22, says, The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. 
He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Verse 23, then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Now listen, this must have sounded ridiculous to those people. Because to them, the cross was a picture of a criminal's death. If Jesus had said to them, I'm going to die riding into battle against the Roman government, everybody in that crowd would have been like, yes, let's go. That's what we're going to do. Everybody's behind Jesus. And Jesus says, nope, I'm going to be killed. The leaders of our religion are going to look at me and say that I'm not good. They're going to kill me. And then you're supposed to take up your cross. Wait a minute, Jesus, a cross? Why that? Why would you, if you're the Messiah, end up on a cross? That doesn't make any sense. And yet he says what we have to do, what the crowd should do, is take up their cross and to follow him. Verses 24 and 25. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost and destroyed? Here's the third thing I want us to know about Jesus. Jesus loves you enough and me enough not to let you stay the same. There's a lie out there that when you decide you are something, or you decide to think a certain way, or you decide you're way is right, if somebody comes along and says, that's not true, or that you should think about it differently, or you should do it differently, or you should decide something differently, if, that, if someone comes along and does that, there, there's a lie out there that says they hate you. And, and what love is portrayed as sometimes today is when you say something, you identify as something, you process something a certain way, and you decide something that's true about you, that people should just agree with you and follow after what you're saying, and that's how they love you. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, he says if we follow our own way, it's going to end up really badly for us. Now, here's what I know to be true. We can chase a lot of dreams in life, and we may even get them. Maybe your goal would be to make a million dollars in this life. You could probably chase that and make that. Maybe there's a certain house, or you want to be the person that owns the boat or owns the whatever. Like You, you can chase after all those things, but, but what happens when we get to the end of life? Like, let's say you, you live 85 years, and you're great, right? You, you've done all the things that you want to do. You're going to get to the end of that time, and what's going to be left? Maybe you've got some stuff to leave your kids. Maybe you've got that left, but you can't take it with you. And even if, even if you don't believe in God, you don't think that God exists, even at the end of the day, that we just cease existing. When that's the case, we can chase after all the things that we want. And we may even get them. But what Jesus says is it's not worth it. He says, I've got something better for you. And listen, we, we don't match up. Think about what Paul says. We don't match up to the glorious standard. We are all sinners. And Jesus says we need to turn from what we've done. If we just stay our same, that we stay the same, we chase after the things we get, we know exactly what we're going to get. Jesus says, if you follow me, there's something else for you. There's something better. There's something different. And when somebody comes along and says, I love you, would you think about this this way? We know that that's love. The best people that love us are the people that come alongside us and say, hey, I'm noticing something. Are you doing okay? Can we have a conversation? And they say, I want to help you if you need help. 
It's not wrong to come along and say, I love you that way because Jesus says he loves us enough not to let us stay the same. So that takes us to Luke 24. Luke 24, this is the passage we've been waiting for today, right? Starting in verses 1 and 2. It says, But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb. Taking the spices they had prepared, they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Verses 3 and 4, So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. Verse 5, The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking for the dead where some, for someone who is alive? One of the greatest questions in all scripture. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Verses 6 and 7, he isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee. We just read this conversation. That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. Here's what I, I know to be true. The empty grave is proof that there's another chapter in your story and my story. Listen, the story is this. We can live 85 years or however long you live, and you get to do all the things. Maybe you've got the whole bucket list, and we chase it all down, and we do all the things, and we get to the end, and it's like, okay, great. But, like, that's the end. If it's just us, if this is the whole story, it's just me and what I want and what I want to do, and I build all my kingdoms and I do all the things, that's the end of the story. It ends with me. And we all know ourselves. We can do some good stuff, but like, we also know all our shortcomings and faults. What Jesus says is, with an empty grave, he says, I give you the opportunity at life, a life that when we die here is just starting. So instead of saying, live it up for 85 years, and that's the best you're ever going to get, and then you're going to either cease to exist or be separated from God, he says, no. Follow me here, and the life you're looking forward to for eternity will be far greater than anything you've ever experienced here. And there's another chapter. There's another thing for us to chase after. There's another place for us to find home. And there's another way for us to get to where we want to get to. Now the most famous verse in all of Scripture, John three sixteen, and we'll add verse 17 in there. It says, for this is how God loves the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. See, there's a lot of conversation about the free gift of salvation, which is absolutely true. But sometimes preachers like me do a bad job of also explaining, like when we accept Jesus, there's activity on our part that has to also come along. It doesn't save us, but there's a result from the decision we've made. And so here's what I want us to get, right? This is another thing about Jesus. Jesus gives freely, but what you do with his gift matters to him greatly. Here's, here's how I understand this. We have this way, and maybe it's just me. You can tell me after if it's just me, but I think this is true of other people too. That in America, or maybe in the West in general, it is kind of cool and almost an accomplishment when we give something to someone and they go, oh, I have something for you too. And you're like, oh, no, 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 you don't have to give me anything. Right? You, don't, we don't, you don't need to give me anything back. Like, I, I wanted to, and it's good. It's good to give a gift. It's good to be able to give that thing. But there's almost like 
kind of a status thing where we feel good if we can say, I'm going to give you something and, and I don't need you to give me anything back. Like I'm, I'm good with that, right? I'll pay for lunch or I'll do this or I'll do that, right? We, we feel good about that and that's, that's okay. But here's where we kind of lose that a little bit when this transaction comes into play. Because in this culture, when Jesus was alive and when this was written, there was a, you were actually, if you gave a gift back, when someone gave you a gift, you were dignifying the other person and building a relationship with them. So if you're a, if you're a married couple or you're dating somebody and on Christmas you, you do exchange gifts, th- this is the way that that would work because you've entered into a relationship with somebody and it would be very awkward. Now, if you're the couple that says we don't do gifts, then it's kind of a mutual understanding. Guys still get them a gift, right? But we're going to like have that conversation and we're going to say we don't do gifts or whatever. But if you do gifts, it gets real awkward if somebody shows up with a gift and the other person doesn't have one. Because we're in a relationship. Like, yeah, we, we give each other. We like to do that. That's something that we dignify each other and love each other with this give and take. That's the conversation we have when we accept the free gift from Jesus. Think about it this way. He offered his life for mine, so I give my life back to him. It's an exchange. Jesus doesn't owe us anything. He gives it freely, and there's no bill to be paid. However, in order to love someone and step into a relationship with them, we look back at Jesus and we say, I'm going to give my life back to you because you gave yours for me. And you know this. I know this. If we do give someone a gift that costs us a lot of money or it's very special, we want them to take care of it. There are certain gifts, when we give them, our ki- give them to our kids, there's rules around that gift so that that gift doesn't end up destroyed the next day. So we, we think about that. We want, I love when my wife wears the ring I gave her when we got engaged. I, it's the most expensive gift I've ever bought. And I love that she wears it because it shows that she loves me and I love her. That, that we get this, that like when we get a really great gift, we don't just turn around and go, oh, thanks, and walk away. We don't, and when we give a gift like that, we don't do it for the thanks, but we appreciate when the person that we give it to understands what it's worth to us and that they cherish it just as much as we cherish buying it for them. And so Jesus gives it freely. It is free. But if we walk away from that, and Christian, hear me, if you did this a long time ago and you've walked away from that, we cheapen that gift if we don't give our life back to him. We take advantage of it. Just like if someone showed up and gave us a real expensive gift and we just walked away and just said, thanks. We don't want to cheapen that. We want to remember what it's worth. We want to live that out. Going back to Romans, Paul has a lot to say about this. In Romans 12, verse 1, it says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. He's begging them. He says, in light of what I'm telling you, please understand. I beg you to give your bodies to God Why? Because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. He says, you want to worship the God I've just told you about, the God that I told you died for you, the God that gave his life in exchange for you, you want to worship him? Give your life back to him. Don't cheapen the gift that he's given you. You know, as I, as I processed this and thought about what this would mean for us, we know and we would tell you, we would say that Scripture teaches that we are created in the image of God. 
And that ultimately means that we have inherent value because God has given it to us. And we are all image bearers. Whether we know Jesus or not, we are image bearers that have value because God created us. But I don't think, I I don't want to miss this. I would say it this way. God created us with potential, but without him, we are only potential. If we keep this to ourselves, this is what Jesus said. If we keep it to ourselves, like he's like, you can chase after all the things you want. You can keep that potential to yourself. Chase whatever you want and you will lose your life. Or you can step into what I'm telling you and that potential will be realized. And here's what I know. When we talk about potential with people, there's two ways we can talk about potential. Right? You could look at a student or look at an athlete and you can go, man, they've really got potential. And what did I just say? There's, there's, they could go really far. They could do really well. Or I could look at someone and go, well, they've got potential. And what did I just say? They're not living up to what they can do. They're not, living, they're not taking advantage of what they have. They're not using the gifts that they've been given. And no one wants to be the second person in that conversation. We all want to be the person that someone looks at. Man, you've got potential. You can go. Play. Like, we don't want to be the person that someone looks at and goes, you're just potential and you are not doing what you can do. Listen, it's not about us, but without him, without Jesus, we'll only ever be the potential that we could be. This is why I say, and I've said this over the last few weeks with our Marks of Disciples series, when you become a disciple of Jesus, there's this little bit of you that has to be a dreamer, that we have to look at God and go, you can do more with my life than I can, and so I'm going to hand it over to you and let you take that potential and use me in incredible ways. And if I keep it all, I'm only ever going to be potential, and I'm not going to be the person God created me to be. Don't be the person in the second chair. And this is why. <laughs> because in John three sixteen it says, For this is how God loved. This all comes from a place of recognizing just how much Jesus loved us and using that as the place that we start from in order to say, I'm going to chase after him. Why? Because he chased after me. So here's the last thing I want us to realize this morning is that God knew you and me at our worst and he loved you first. We were the person that didn't know we needed a second chance. Right before we were even born, Jesus said, "Yep, I see all the things you'll ever do wrong. I see all of the things you will, all the ways you'll ever deny me. I see all of those things. And yet, even though you're not even born yet, you're not going to be born for two thousand years. I will take that on, and I will die for it." And we read it today, and Dan talked about it the other night. That even the people that came before, he was like storing it up and saying, "I'll, I'll die for it here. Like I'll, I'll keep it all, and I'll take it all, and we'll just put it all on me, and I'll take it all, and we'll just do it." And before we could even choose to love him, he chose to love us first, even when. We were at our complete worst. And that should move us. It should shake us a little bit. It should make us uneasy about the choices we've made from day to day if we call ourselves a follower of Jesus. Because taking up a cross is not fun. It's heavy. It's got splinters. And it's annoying. You want to carry around, like just walk around with a backpack full of books for no reason one day. I remember that in college, being like, you know, walking up and down, just like having to carry this giant backpack. I'm like, man, that's what it would feel like. And it feels like because it's not ours. Like, it, Jesus died for it, but yet we want to look like him. We want to give our life back to him. So it's a reminder. I actually knew a group of guys that every year they would, I think it was on Good Friday, like that morning, 
they would take, they had a wooden cross that weighed like 50 pounds, and they would walk a lap around a soccer field with it. And they would all just hand it off, and it was just a moment for them to pause and pray. And they said, it's 50 pounds. Like, when you think about it, you're like, okay, I carry 50, but it's a 50-pound wooden cross that just rests on your shoulder, and you just have to drag it. It was just their reminder. It's not easy. But when someone loves you that much to say, I will love you no matter what, and we recognize that, and we understand it, and we give our life back to him, and we say, I know if I chase what I want in this world, I know what I'm going to get. I can tell you the end of the story. But when I look at the empty tomb, I understand there's a greater story I'm living for. It's a different way of life. And it changes everything about what we understand. When we remind ourselves of that, like we are today, like we do every Sunday, it changes the way we live. So here's, here's my last question, okay? This is how we're going to wrap our conversation today. And I, I have two very easy avenues for two groups of people that may be in this room. And then there's a third category where some of us are going to have to do a little bit of soul searching and digging and kind of figure out, okay, what is it that I'm going to do, okay? But here, here's the question. What is your next great act of love and devotion to your king? What are we going to do as we look at this story and we say, Jesus loved me at my worst. He saw me and he loved me first. What's going to be my response to that? How do I, how do, I do that? And I think it would be good for us to not just say, like, like here's what's difficult. If you just say, this year I'm going to lose weight. And you put no timeline on that, and you put no amount on that, and you make no plan for it. Guess what doesn't happen? You don't lose the weight, or you don't read all the books you're going to plan to read, or you don't, you don't get the goal done. So what we have to do is we have to look at it, and we go, what's the next thing? Like, what's the next one step I can take? Let's not just say, I'm going to look more like Jesus this year. Like, then it's just so ambiguous. It's not going to work. What is the next thing I'm going to do? And here's, here's the first group I want to talk to. If you've never decided to follow Jesus, that's your step to take. Because if you're hearing this for the first time or you've heard it a bunch of times and maybe this time it just made sense, the next step is to say, I'm going to give my life back to Jesus because he loved me so much to give his life for mine. In a minute, we're going to pray and I'm going to give you the opportunity to kind of pray that prayer. I'm not going to embarrass you, not going to ask you to do anything. But I want to give us that opportunity. So if that's you, sit on that for a second. Here's the second group of people I want to talk to. Second group of people is someone who's made that decision. You would say, yep, I have decided to follow Jesus, but you've never been baptized. That's your next great act of love towards your king. You might say, well, why? First of all, I want you to know baptism doesn't save you. So if you had this conversation with Jesus and you've decided to follow him, you're good. But here's the thing. What scripture tells us is, baptism is that next step. And when you have a conversation with Jesus and you accept him, it's a personal conversation, which is awesome. But baptism is that proclamation of the decision you've made to other people. And so when we get baptized and we do it in a public setting and we say, this is who I am. This is the decision I've made. It's us turning around and saying, I love him because he loved me first. And so if you haven't been baptized, that's your next step. That's what scripture tells you. I'm just the messenger. That's what scripture says. And so we have a baptism already planned for May. We've got three people already. We would love to add you to that and and to make that as many people as we can, okay? That's your goal. That's your thing. Now, third group of people, this is where if you've already gotten saved and you've already been baptized, 
you got to do a little bit of soul searching. What's the next step I should take in loving Jesus? Maybe it's getting rid of something. Maybe it's starting something. Maybe it's having a conversation. Maybe it's setting an alarm so you remember to do something you always mean to do and never do. There's something we can all do. And the journey starts with one step. But he says, take up your cross and follow me. It's a continual thing. We don't pick up the cross and stand still. We pick up the cross and we keep going. So what is the next step for you? Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, again, we are so grateful for what you've done for us. And what you said to your followers about picking up a cross and and following after you. I know that sounded crazy to them, but one day when you were carrying that cross and then you died and you rose again, they all went, that's what he meant. And even the angels said, he told you this. And Jesus, we're so thankful that you have included us in that sacrifice, that you gave it, to, gave it for us. You took all our sin and shame. We thank you that you love us enough to give us a second chance. You love us enough to take our shame, and you love us enough not to let us stay the same. And God, I pray that we wouldn't stay the same, that we would not get caught up in our own story. We know how that story ends, but that we would allow the empty tomb to be the next chapter for us so that when we leave this earth, It's just the beginning. And if you're here with us this morning or you're watching online and you've never decided to follow Jesus, that's never been something you've consciously done, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Like I said, I am not going to ask you to raise your hand or stand up or anything like that. But I'm just going to pray a prayer. And if you want to make that decision today, you can have that conversation with Jesus right here. And there's nothing magic about the words I'm going to say. It's just you having a conversation with Jesus. So if you'd like to take that step, just repeat after me in your own heart. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I don't match up to your standard. And I recognize you died for me to give me a second chance. And I believe that you took my sin and paid for it on the cross. I believe that you were buried in a tomb and that you rose again. And that through you, I can have new life and be reunited with God. Please save me. And if you just had that conversation with Jesus, it's that simple. You're a child of God. And I would encourage you to continue to reflect on these passages and say, what does that mean? If you want to have a conversation about that, I would love to have that conversation with you. And if you're someone who's here who's, who's decided to, or is thinking about this idea of what I said about baptism, there can be a little bit of fear in that. Um don't like being in front of people, don't like being dunked underwater. But Jesus did that for you. One of my friends that has been baptized, he said, if Jesus loved me and he said the way that I love him is just getting dunked underwater, I can do that for him. You can do that too. 
So I would encourage you to make that decision. Jesus, again, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for that we can sit here and know that you love us. And that's something that's true every single day. We thank you so much for what you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.